welcome back to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and it is Thursday, so time for another episode. Uh, and to start off, uh, if you were listening last week, we're we're sponsored. Uh, so our sponsor, Eclipse Holsters, uh, EclipseHolsters.com, great, great company. They have awesome products. Uh, if you guys are looking for holsters, you're looking for uh, dump tray, Kydex wallet, uh, you know, whatever you need for whatever pistol you need it for, uh, you know, they got it. You know, I know there's a lot of, a lot of choices out there in the market for Kydex these days. Um, and it's hard to find good, reliable products. Uh, and even harder is, uh, good, reliable people to work with and, and to spend your hard-earned money with, right? Check out the team at eclipseholsters.com. Uh, great, great products. Can't say enough how much we enjoy using them here. Uh, and here's the real kicker for a lot of you guys that are dealing with, you know, hangups from the postal service and things right now, guaranteed to ship within three business days, which is huge. So like I said, eclipseholsters.com and use our discount code prepared 15 to save yourself 15% off on your order guys. It's huge. All right, that helps support the podcast, helps support the good people over at Eclipse that are, you know, a small uh, family-run operation over there. They do great work, all right? You know, you're really going to dig it, EclipseHolsters.com. So this week, we had, uh, there's a tragedy, right? Um, unfortunately, there was a, uh, a mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado at a local uh, grocery store, right? Terrible to see happen. Terrible to hear about it. I have family. I have friends uh, in that area. Um, some that even actually frequent that very grocery store during their day-to-day travels and just happen to not be working that day. So thank God nowhere near all of this when it went down. Right. Um, not going to say the shooter's name uh, because I personally don't believe in it. Um, what I mean is I feel like giving these people, these these evil individuals that, that carry out these senseless acts of violence, uh, giving them the attention and the recognition uh, is is a way of empowering them, and I, I just I I won't do it. Um, uh, unfortunately, we had a police officer involved in this incident who lost his life, as well as I, I believe it was ten people. Uh, I think it's, I think it's including the officer was ten. I could be. I think, I believe it's 10 total. Um, so just, you know, a terrible tragedy, loss of life that we, we never want to see. However, as, uh, as they tend to do our, uh, our democratically elected leaders, uh, never ones to waste a good tragedy, uh, basically jumped right on it from the state level all the way on up to the white house to, um, demand, right. That we take we make, uh, changes, right. Uh, to throw around a a phrase that get used, that gets used way too often now is common sense gun control, right? Cause that's the issue here. That's why this was able to happen was because we don't have enough gun control. The gun is the problem here. Not the fact that we had some, not because we had some asshole, right? Some deranged lunatic, uh, who was off his rocker enough to go out and carry this out thinking that this was, somehow justifiable, but guns are the issue. Um, you know, the media paints this in that light. Um, they want to focus on the guns because the, this individual, this shooter is a Muslim American. So he's not a white American. Uh, and he was anti-Trump and we confirmed this, uh, law enforcement, the media has confirmed this because they went back and can check his social media posts. Um, you know, him calling out and, and speaking, you know, ill of and speaking against Donald Trump as president of the United States the last four years. So, um, you know, this isn't a, they can't point at the picture of conservatives being the problem. So they're just going to focus on gun control. And, you know, we've talked about gun laws in the past here on the podcast. So we're, we're going to, I mean, and, and unfortunately that's just the nature of how things are working in our country. The last 30 ish years is we keep coming back to this topic because, it's convenient, right? It's very easy to to point an, at an inanimate object 
and say that that's the problem, right? Like when you're developing and testing out a new car or truck, it's really easy to say, well, that part's the problem than to say that the design in general is the issue or that the driver was at fault. And then, you know, that's why we have these investigations that go on into accidents and plane crashes, things like that. They go on months and months and months evaluating mindset and, you know, things like that. It's, it's really easy to blame a gun and say that a gun, that guns in general are the issue here. Not, and to basically ignore, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but mental health as a major issue that's not as well recognized, I think, you know, the, as it could be. Uh, but how do you solve the problem of evil in people's hearts, right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty deep question when you think about it. Like, how do we eliminate evil in the world? Um, well, if you're God, if you're a God-fearing ind- individual, um, you know, you read the Bible, you follow the Bible, you know of those stories. Um, you know, it, it's you can't, you don't really. Uh, it's open to a lot of a different interpretation, but it's my point is it's a hard question to answer. It's a, and it's a nearly impossible problem to solve, right? So rather than face that and and work uh, to protect people, the citizens of our country, it's much easier for legislators to look at, well, let's just blame the guns. Because if we remove those, this will all just go away. Right? It has to. It's it's not accurate. And I did, and I watched, you know, I was watching some videos earlier today uh, of uh, some of those Change My Mind segments with Steven Crowder. This was like back from like 2018. Um, and it just, it kind of just reminded me of, you know, how naive the lay person is that isn't, you know, up to speed on firearms and things like that. Um, one, one really crucial, I guess, or a couple really crucial points to keep in mind when we're looking at the situation, right? This took place in Boulder, Colorado, right? Colorado, a blue state, very liberal state that already has in place all of these gun laws that the Biden administration is now pushing for nationwide, Okay. Magazine capacity limits, um, extended background checks, stuff like they already have it. Look it up. They already have those laws on the books. Actually, I'm going to pull it up right now because, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I want to be able to speak about, about it intelligently and cover all the points. But what I'm getting at is that these laws, they're, they're nothing new, um, in, in the Boulder area right? They took, um, they, they took everything the Democrats said would fix the issue. They put it into effect and here we are. Right. And where do we go from here? If we already have magazine, uh, capacity bans, we already have the extended background checks out, you know, waiting periods, I mean, whatever, what, what is next? Short of just an all out ban on firearms, assault, assault weapons, Ooh, whatever. Um, where do we go from here? Well, let me, let me, let's talk about where we go from here currently right now. And I, I hate that, you know, I keep coming back to the same quote from, from former president Trump said losing elections has consequences, right? And he said that right after, uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed and the liberal left was in literally a frenzy, over, um, the possibility or, or, you know, that he, he would be able to appoint a, you know, uh, conservative justice to the Supreme court, which would then tip the scale, the favor of the court, um, six to three, if you were to align them with their parties or, or their ideologies or assumed ideologies, I should say, cause I know we've had, you know, conservative justices vote liberally and liberally vote conservatively, but yeah, <clears throat> that was the big fear. So losing elections has consequences, just as losing the presidential race uh, for the Republicans, conservatives, um, you know, it has that consequence because now Joe Biden is in office. Let's not get into if we think that the validity, you know, the beliefs of the validity of the election. I know there's a lot uh, up in the air on that, Um, but the Democrats do control the House and the Senate, right? So it's very, very close right now on a lot of these hot button issues, um, gun control right now. Let's, let's just rattle on a couple. I think there's three main bills that are currently 
up for discussion right now. First one, HR8. Okay, what does this do? This expands background checks to include private sales and online sales from private sellers. Um, well, in most instances, uh, if you buy a gun online, it still has to be shipped to an FFL, a federal firearm licensee, okay, at least in, in my experience. And I've purchased from places like Palmetto State Armory, and it went to my local gun store, and then I still had to fill out the paperwork, and they ran a background check. Okay. Um, essentially, what that means is it makes, if you're selling a gun from yourself to somebody that you know, um, or a buddy or something, or at a gun show, it essentially requires you as the seller to complete a background check and makes you liable for the sale. Essentially, they're trying to terminate person-to-person sales. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an existing law. It's on the books. It's commonly enforced. You know, it's, this is nothing new, um, but they're trying to close any of the, you know, litigate their way into closing any loopholes, mostly just gun show is the gun is the one I'm thinking of, but, um, you know, uh, the, they're calling this the enhanced background check act of 2021. Um, and this is supposed to close the quote unquote Charleston loophole, which lets gun sales processed, uh, I'm sorry, gun sales, uh, and lets them proceed without a background check if uh, three business days have passed without a conclusive result on that. Um, this isn't something that I was uh, very aware of, although it, in my own personal defense, um, my background checks have all come back clean almost immediately. And I haven't had any friends I know of here here in Michigan um, where they've had to wait multiple hours or days. I mean, I fill out the paperwork and I'm, I'm you know, but I, I have nothing to hide, right? Um now I granted I'm involved in a, in a couple, in a career path. Um, and I used to be a teacher slash instructor, um, you know, for high school marching band and stuff like that. So I, I've been fingerprinted. I've had background checks done, you know, uh, you know, I've been through it. Okay. So I don't necessarily have anything to hide. I, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen to people. I'm just saying that I, I don't personally know of anybody that's ever encountered that issue. But again, <clears throat> this is just one more step to help uh, strip away uh, rights, to help enforce more background checks, to help uh, restrict who can have a gun, um, how they have to get them, you know, basically giving the, the the government more power to say, you can have this if we say so, and if you do it how we want you to, okay? It's kind of helping um, build the maze, build the labyrinth as we're, you know, running through it, I guess. The next one that's up on this list is HR one four four six, okay, um, and again uh, we just talked about the Charleston loophole. What this this bill this is a separate bill. It's uh, linked to a shooting in 2015 in Charleston, South Carolina, where a white supremacist uh, used the loophole to obtain firearms, which he then unfortunately turned around um, and used to kill nine black people during a Bible study uh, at. It says Mother Emanuel AME Church. Okay. Um, this bill would extend the initial background check review period from three to 10 days, um, which I'm not big on. I'm not big on waiting periods at all, honestly. Um, I've come up as a gun owner um, in, like I said, in a state where I've, you know, in a situation where I've never had to wait. Um, I think that people buy guns primarily like I said, in my experience for, for self-defense. Okay. If you go, if you have a reason to fear for your safety, um, and you're buying a gun for that reason, um, you're really only enhancing the risk of the individual by making them wait. Okay. You think about people who stalkers, uh, messy divorces, right? Things like that. You're, if you're actually concerned and there's need for things like a restraining order, that, that piece of paper is not going to do anything. Um, oh, it's, oh, but it's the law. Well, it's also illegal to beat the shit out of somebody. Um, and, uh, you know, rape is also, uh, illegal yet. We still have those issues that happen, even though there's laws against them, believe it or not, just like gun-free zones. We, you know, uh, which the supermarket incident in Boulder, Colorado was a gun-free zone in 2019, the company made, came out and made broad sweeping statements at its stores asking that nobody carry firearms in their store. That is a gun-free zone. They don't want any guns in their building. Well, guess what? Um, somebody came in with a gun, 
even though it's technically that's not illegal. It's just against store policy. And all the police could really do would be to ask you to leave, except he came in and he killed 10 people. So, um, but getting back to the point here, um, this bill, um, you know, people are, have to wait, you know, to get access to their firearm, um, that week, 10 days, 14 days, whatever they're waiting to get the firearm. They, they have obviously a cause for concern or want to protect themselves. Why do they need to wait an additional two weeks? Okay. Week, two weeks, three days. I mean, whatever it is, you know, if it's going to pass the background check, fine. If not, not then, then you take, you handle that whichever way it goes. But to say that everybody needs to go through this waiting period, I, I don't, that's not right. It's not right for somebody who's, uh, had done nothing wrong with their life. They've never been incarcerated, fined, you know, for anything, um, ticketed for anything. Uh, there really isn't a need to make that, that make them wait. And if that means that, you know, federal tax dollars need to be used to beef up the background check system to speed it up. So it processes faster. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a pretty appropriate way of, instead of spending, you know, a hundred and however many millions of dollars, uh, for gender studies in the middle East where they treat women like bartering pieces and secondhand citizens, just to put it lightly. Um, and, and honestly, and for the most part, have, from what I understand, no interest in, in changing those kinds of uh, traditions. I'm actually reading a book right now uh, about the global war on terror, um, where one of the Green Beret commanders uh, had literally had a uh, Afghan tribal elder offer one of his daughters to the commander on the spot as a wife. And it's like, that's, they're not property, right? That, but that's a Western belief. Um, but I, I digress. So... Um, that's that money could be <clears throat> spent here on something like that. Hey, let's revamp and redo the NCIS or I'm sorry, uh, NICS, whatever the, the background check system is. NCIS is a TV show. It's not a background check system. Um, this bill, uh, it did pass actually, uh, 219 to 210 with two Democrats opposed and two Republicans in favor. Um, it was written by house majority whip James Clyburn from South Carolina, who called it an important step Congress must take to address the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Uh, and he's quoted as saying, if people can't be safe in Bible study, then they can't be safe anywhere. Okay, that's, he was quoted at a news conference for saying that. Um, the White House, coming out saying gun violence is a public health crisis uh, and endorsed this legislation. Uh, here's the problem with, that I have with those statements. Okay, um, in most states... Now, I have not checked on South Carolina specifically, but in most states, definitely here in Michigan, it is against your, it's against your concealed carry permit to carry in a church, mosque, synagogue, house of worship, unless I, anything else, there's like some kind of explicit, explicit written permission or, or something by the, the priest or the, the bishop or whoever, you know, um, heads the institution. Um, but it's largely, it's already illegal to carry a firearm in those buildings because of the laws put in place, the gun control that's already in place. You can't carry a gun in a church. Thus, you know, I feel like a damn broken record makes this a soft target. Soft target meaning when this asshole shows up with the intent to shoot people, he knows no one's going to be shooting back until the cops show up. Think about it. Where are you going to go? Where do all these mass shooting events happen? Places where nobody shoots back until the cops get there. And by that time, in a lot of instances, these people take their own lives. But due to due to the fact that we have that law in place where law-abiding citizens, people following the law, doing as they're supposed to, following the government's you know mandate, they are unarmed, and then they become victims. So we've been literally outflanked by our, our elected leaders with legislation uh, that makes it illegal to carry guns at a church. And then because that church uh, is, is then a target, falls victim, those same people, those same elected leaders and legislators are going to turn around and quote that you can't be safe anywhere uh, if you can't be safe at Bible study and tell us uh, that we need more quote unquote common sense reform. It's like, it's like the snake eating the tail. One thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. By making these places uh, soft targets, by making it illegal for people to carry guns there, 
people won't carry guns there and then they will be the victims of mass shooting incidents. Okay. And then they'll turn around and use it as an excuse to leverage that tragedy and convince people who weren't there or unrelated to the incident that we obviously need more gun control. Okay. Um, and, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm sick of hearing it called a public health crisis. Okay. A public health crisis is what we're facing right now with COVID-19. All right. Gun violence. Okay. Is not a, a public health crisis. Okay. Um, to give you an idea. And again, this is just going off of numbers from, I think it's like 2018. Um, the number of gun deaths in this country, 2018 is around 30,000. And if you remove suicides from that, which again, like news media doesn't like to do, they like to count as many of them as they can to beef up the numbers. But if you remove suicides, because those are self-inflicted, right? Hence the term suicide. You're actually looking at, and I don't want to seem insensitive when I say this, but you're looking at 12 to 16,000 deaths a year. Okay. Um, Which, well, obviously we would all like to strive to... um, get those numbers down, right? Uh, that's far from being a public health crisis. And it's, um, it's really not as big of an issue as, as it's being painted to be, especially when you can look at numbers from like the CDC, right? The center for disease control that does all these studies and everything on COVID, right? That, that the left right now is heralding as being basically from the, you know, uh, God them himself as being so accurate with everything they've said on COVID-19. Oh, CDC says we have to wear masks. CDC says we have to use hand sanitizer every 20 minutes. CDC says it can live on, the virus can live on metal for X amount of time. CDC says, okay, going off of CDC statistics, um, roughly around at least, you know, and again, this is from like 2018, but uh, half a million people are actually saved by firearms every year. And it's actually probably more closer to about 3 million people when you look at the trickle-down effect. Um, but those are actually reported statistics that you can Google CDC um, gun prevent, you know, uh, homicide. You, you can actually search for this stuff online. And this, there's CDC-sponsored uh, studies and data to support that having more guns, not in fact less, but having more guns is is a, is a more viable solution uh, to ending violent crime. And I say violent crime because I think it's kind of disingenuous to just look at, at guns um, when we, you know, there's things like stabbings and rape and, uh, you know, assault uh, that play into this conversation because the whole point of having a firearm is for self-defense. The person attacking you does not need to have a gun to be considered a violent threat. Okay, stabbings are a thing, right? I mean, it's come on, use your use your head here. Um, obviously, it's a responsibility to be a, a gun owner, um, so you're responsible for understanding the steps to escalation uh, to get to that point of deadly force. But that's an entirely uh, entirely separate issue. But what is the the point here is that more armed citizens means less targets. Okay, less victims. Okay, if you look at, and I know I've said this before, you look at places like Chicago, uh, you look at places like California where they have, you know, uh, just these outstanding, borderline, I say, crippling amounts of gun legislation on the books that are just designed to legislate people out of gun ownership by making it too difficult, too expensive, too whatever to own firearms. They have higher crime rates, higher violent crime rates. Look at cities that don't have those. They actually have the most lax gun control laws in the in the country, and you'll find the inverse. You'll find that there is less violent crime. Why? Because people defend themselves. And the people out there looking to do evil, they know that. And, you know, it's think about it. Think about the, the inverse relationship there. Okay? Um, but none of this stuff uh, is even touching on, you know, the other pending bills currently being introduced in the House and the Senate. Um, once again, uh, one more time since, uh, like 92, when I was like three years old, uh, Diane Feinstein introduced again, the same radical assault weapons bill that'll ban ownership parts, magazines, um, you know, et cetera for, for American citizens. Um, she's introduced this bill. I want to say at least like three or four times. 
three or four times in the last 30 years, and it's never gone through. It's never passed. And that is in considering that's in the era when the Clinton assault weapons ban took effect from 94 to 2004. Because I think Feinstein was elected into the Senate in like 92. Don't quote me on that, but I want to say it was like 92, maybe 91, 93, somewhere in there. So she's tried a bunch of times to get this bill pushed through, and it has not gone through. But yet, this is what we're wasting uh, taxpayer dollars on and time during uh, Senate and House meetings and everything is voting on uh, this bill again. Okay, um, you know, at 87 years old, she's she's so out of touch with the needs, the wants uh, of the American lifestyle, the American people right now. You know, she doesn't have to deal with the same things that we deal with. She doesn't work in a bad part of town. She doesn't have to, you know, potentially drive through some of these areas that could be violent and rioting. Uh, over now, the summer's here again, right? We're still on all these lockdowns and shutdowns from from COVID. Um, we're starting to have all these criminal trials start for all the social, yeah, the social equity, social justice uh, incidents, right? That that happened over last summer. George Floyd comes to mind, right? Diane Feinstein doesn't have to drive through that to get home, not knowing if she's going to need to protect herself or not. Okay, she's 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 so out of touch with this, and you can see that because she it's the same bill, it's the same piece of legislation. It hasn't changed. It just hasn't gone through yet. Well, at this time, I mean, honestly, maybe losing elections has consequences, right? Um, you know, it, and I guess the frustrating part about all of this, it would be easier to deal with if this wasn't, if this was a new concept, okay? Um, the 94 to 2004, the Clinton assault weapon ban, right? Um, it had no discernible uh, impact, right? On curbing violent crime. Now it, didn't necessarily increase the violent crime, but violent crime was already violent crime. Gun crime was already trending upward when that ban took place and it didn't decrease it. It kind of just kept the status quo. Um, it, it didn't work. There was no discernible impact, which is why when it hit its sunset point of 2004, it was not renewed. Okay. Now granted, yeah, at, at that time we were coming off of, we were coming to the, the end of term one of, uh, George W. Bush, so a conservative administration was in office, but um, you know it doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you look at history, we saw we have uh, more gun legislation come through under Republican uh, presidents, right? Under uh, presidents like Reagan and Bush, uh, than we did under you know Obama, right? Um, and I think, and the fear is that when every time we get a liberal president now there's a rush to buy guns and ammunition and stuff like that you know there's people make jokes all the time nobody sells guns better than a democrat and that's mostly just driven off of fear um but that ban uh it didn't it get extended um like i said because there was no conclusive proof um and some that we actually saw some crime rates go up now you got to look at the statistics and really dig into it. Uh, again, going back to this uh, Stephen Crowder video I saw from a couple of years back, <clears throat> 2018, there was news headlines that said that uh, mass shootings had had gone up during the assault weapons ban. Um, but what was concluded from that basically was that the media source that reported that information counted mass shootings as any um, incident with six or more fatalities. While everybody else was looking at, you know, other countries, um, other states, other studies were looking, were classifying a mass shooting incident as four or more fatalities. Um, so basically manipulating the data to give the message that they wanted to spread. Um, and while I would say that you'd have a, they would have a point if the standard was at seven or eight fatalities. And if you take it down to six and you still see an increase, okay, well, then maybe we have something to talk about, but given um, that you're setting the bar higher, not lower to spread this kind of information. Think about it Four fatalities. So you're basically saying that you're, you know, s that four or five deaths is acceptable, but six is not as opposed to saying, um, you know, that, uh, less death is, how can I put this? Basically you're, you're saying, um, that you're okay with not calling four or five people dying a mass shooting. Um, four fatalities was the the standard that was accepted uh, from multiple countries and multiple government agencies here for these studies. Um, but it didn't paint the picture that was being, that they were trying to 
the narrative they were trying to push forward. Um, that statistic didn't work. So if they manipulate the data and only pull out the events that were six and fewer, then it did. Okay. Um, which is just disingenuous, but and, and I and it works because people don't go do this research on their own. They don't look up the CDC. They don't look at studies. But, and you can have to go to multiple sources, right? That's the shitty part. Um, some are better than others, but like you can't just go to the NRA for research. Um, there's a couple of different journals out there and stuff. You really have to kind of pull a wide range of data when you're looking at this um, and start sort of formulating your own picture as to how this all comes together um, to really get a good idea uh, of what it looks like, right? Um, you certainly can't follow what the mainstream media is telling you because it's very uh, definitely and very obviously skewed um, in one direction. <clears throat> now, the next bill that's, that's up right now uh, is H.R. 127. This establishes... This is so ridiculous, but it's been discussed more and more. And I feel like as we get more and more radical legislation on different topics from the left, people are actually starting to like see this as some kind of viable uh, solution to, to issues. This bill establishes a process for the licensing, the licensing and registration of firearms. Um, it prohibits the possession of certain ammunition and large capacity ammunition feeding devices. Uh, this is one of the things that that President Biden uh, campaigned pretty heavily on. Um, so when you're talking about restricting uh, a certain ammunition possession, oh nobody nobody should be able to buy 50 caliber. No one needs to buy a 50 caliber round. Um, which to that, my I guess my first couple of thoughts are, yeah, I don't think so. Um, two, it doesn't matter. You have no right to restrict that. Three, please. Point, point out to me, uh, show me where in the last however many years, let's say the last 30 years, we've seen mass casualty incidents carried out by somebody shooting a 50 caliber rifle. You're not going to find any. Um, the ammo is, A, hard to find. It's not illegal, but it's hard to find. Why? Because there's so little demand for it. Why? Because it's so effing expensive. Plus, um, the, the the firearms, the, the rifles that shoot it, you know, a Barrett, whatever, um, they're super expensive, which means that there's no incentive um, for retailers to stock them, okay? So you're not going to find it at your local sporting goods store, okay? Um, it's basically you got to order direct from the retailer, and it, it they're, they're thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to... Uh, to, you know, to, to purchase these, these rifles. And then you're looking at, you know, I mean, back before COVID hit, you were looking at nine, let's say nine millimeter or even two, two, three, two, two, three, five, five, six is your standard sporting round box of, uh, 20 was for target ammo was like, call it 10 bucks, usually a little bit less, but call it 10 bucks. So you're looking at like what, 50 cents around, maybe <clears throat> you're looking at like $7 or more for uh like three i want to say like 338 lapua which is even smaller than than 50 cal um so you're looking it's just you you get what i'm getting to um it's not it's cost it's cost prohibitive these weapons are not for the everyman um and same thing with belt fed machine guns um now yeah there's a lot of legislation around it but who can afford to just throw away that much money on um dumping that much ammunition so while yes there's already legislation in place for those and stuff uh you don't see it a lot because it's cost prohibitive. All right. People only make X amount of money. They're not financed to carry out these acts, but I digress. Um, so this bill, like I said, uh, large uh, capacity ammunition feeding devices, uh, i.e. a magazine. Okay. They want, basically that's an, that's a capacity limit. Uh, probably I'm going to say 10 rounds. Um, in, in a lot of States right now, your hand, their handguns are already limited to 10 rounds, California, New York. Um, you're already limited to a 10 round magazine capacity. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's unnecessary. Um, there's plenty of data out there that supports uh, 
shootouts or uh, violent incidents where more than 10 rounds are discharged and it doesn't stop the attacker. Look at the police body cam footage, man. There's guys, they empty a round of 17, right? Your standard, your standard uh, sidearm, whether it's a Smith & Wesson M&P, uh, the SIG P320, the full-size uh, Glock 17, they're all 17 plus one handguns, okay? So 17 plus one is 18 rounds. They empty the firearm at at the attacker, at the criminal, whoever, and have to reload, okay? Because where things go sideways is you see some of these guys have to reload under stress. They're not good at it. Why are you reloading? Because you ran out of ammo. Why did you run out of ammo? Because you shot it all. Duh. <laughs> um, so there's actually a lot of data to support that a magazine ban um, is a very bad thing for people that are using firearms for self-defense. Um, and to say that, you know, uh, a man, a ban on like AR magazines, 30 rounds. I don't think people really understand that the two, two, three is basically a glorified varmint round. It's very small in size. And most people have never held one. Um, they've seen pictures online that make it look a little bit scarier. And a lot of times when people look at it, they're thinking of like, they think that the AR 15 and the AK 47 or any of the, the AK platform rifles that shoot the seven, six, two, shoot the same ammo because they look vaguely similar and it's not at all the case. 7.62 is a much larger round um, compared to like 5.56 five, uh, by 45 um, or the 223 Remington. Um, they're just, it, it just, it's different. Um, one was designed to wound, the other one was designed to kill was the way someone explained it to me when I first got into, the, into shooting rifles and I don't know how accurate that is, but looking at them side by side, it would make um, some amount of sense. So having 20, 30 rounds, um, on a smaller round like that, uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's reasonable aside from the fact that, you know, I just, I wholeheartedly believe that putting some such restrictions on, on people is against what the second amendment stands for because our military, uh, issues 30 rounders. They issue 30 round magazines on the regular, uh, therefore, and they shoot the five, five, six round out of AR platform rifles. Granted, those are like M4s or select fire or whatever. Um, but if they have access to that, I, I honestly don't think it's out of the conversation at all or unreasonable at all that we should also have the 30 round capacity access. And we do right now it's that's standard capacity. It's not high capacity. Like that's a term that was coined by liberal politicians and by the liberal media to make people who don't know any better think that 30 rounds is more than what's needed. Okay, it's a completely arbitrary term. Somebody, you know what? Uh, one of the states, I believe it was the Parkland shooting in Florida. The the shooter carried that incident out with a AR-15 in a and maybe it wasn't Parkland. Um, shooting carried out with an AR-15 in a state that had magazine capacity restrictions to I think it was like twenty rounds. So what they do? They filled the, their backpack with twenty round magazines. So they just reloaded. And why? Because there's no way they're going to shoot back at them. They don't need to reload under stress. They don't need to be speed reloading. There's no tactical. It doesn't matter because there's no one there shooting back. So, okay, instead of 30-round ma magazines, they had 10 or 20-round magazines, and they just reload and then continue to cause more more death and, and bodily harm to uh, the victims. Um, so, yeah, I think both of those are, are terrible ideas. Um, I don't see any merit in in prohibiting uh, calibers or, or or feeding devices. Um, the next part of this is the ATF must establish a one a licensing system uh, for the possession of firearms or ammunition, and two a registration system for the firearms. In addition, uh, the DOJ has to establish maintain a publicly available database of all registered firearms. Yeah, publicly available. Think about that for a second. So if you're if you're somebody who owns a firearm for home defense, you don't carry it because you don't have a CCW. Okay, you don't hunt with it because it's a, a handgun. It's very much only for the defense of your home in the event something really fucked up happens. But now everyone's going to know that you have it. Right. So basically, that database, and this is, I mean, you call me paranoid if you want. I don't give a shit. Uh, Somebody who's out there looking to collect firearms, a criminal, right? Because criminals don't follow laws. Um, they just need to access that that database and find out where all the guns are. Hey, so-and-so down the street owns 10 rifles and eight handguns. They probably got a bunch of ammo too. So what are they going to do? They're going to go break into that house and take them all. 
and it's and how are you going to stop it? You basically are making law-abiding citizens, lawful gun owners who've otherwise been fine upstanding citizens, done nothing wrong. You're making them targets for for thieves, for crooks, uh, for people who maybe for all these insane background checks that you want, right? Maybe uh, Johnny can't pass the background check because uh, he's got a history of violence and he's pretty much a grade A douchebag. So once he gets rejected by the background checks, he, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to go jump on this public database that the DOJ has to maintain, according to H.R. Uh, 127. Hop on the database and find out which of his neighbors were able to get guns, and he's going to go take theirs. And then he's going to go do some fucked up shit with them. You guys starting to see how one feeds into the other, feeds into the other, feeds into the other? Okay, if you make more victims, there will be more deaths. That's It's pretty you know, pretty obvious. If you, if you take away people's ability to defend themselves, there's going to be more deaths, not less because criminals don't follow the law. It's already illegal to shoot somebody, to murder somebody, right? It's already illegal. And that's been illegal in pretty much every civilized society since, uh, the beginning of time. It's nothing new yet. We still have it. So why disarming people is the solution everyone runs to rather than promoting responsible gun ownership, promoting firearms training, uh, you know, w- why that isn't the solution. I, I personally don't know. Uh, I did live with, with that for most of my life up until I, you know, got my first firearm and moved out of my parents' home and things like that. Started thinking for myself on it. Um, you know, it's not, it's not the solution that I think a lot of politicians are pushing for. They want people to think that this will solve everything and it won't. Well, how do you know? Look at Chicago, look at LA, look at this incident we just had in Boulder. But because the media frames it as too many guns, not the ineffectiveness of gun laws, the mainstream media that doesn't know any better, or sorry, the mainstream masses that uh, aren't gun owners that don't know any better are just going to look at it and say, yeah, we need more gun laws, obviously. Um, going on, right, HR 127, um, the DOJ is going to uh, have to issue a license, uh, to the individual, uh, if an individual is 21 years of age or older, uh, they undergo a criminal background check and a psychological evaluation. They have to complete a certified training course. Uh, I don't know who's going to have to develop, maintain, um, that curriculum. Um, and they have to have an insurance policy. Um, it also outlines the circumstances under which the DOJ can deny a license uh, you know, i.e. the, that person was hospitalized with a mental illness in the past. Um, so again, now the government, that's essentially saying that the government has the right to make the decision on who can have a gun and who can't that's cut and dry. That's what that says. No room for interpretation. Oh, well, if you, if you're a fine upstanding individual, no, it, it, it doesn't No. They can look at literally anything out of your past, out of social media post, and if we and if the results of the election have shown us anything, with the banning of apps like Parler and conservatives kicked off of Facebook and Twitter, it's pretty damn obvious that liberal institutions and liberal government agencies will are, are not shy uh, about making a decision based solely off of their personal feelings and their political directives, rather than off of facts and fairness. That's really obvious. Um, and then, oh, you have to have an insurance policy. So well, how much is that insurance policy going to cost? You know, and there were, uh, there was a uh, discussion during the campaigning. Biden wants every, every firearm and magazine to fall under, uh, the NFA, the national firearms act, which going back to, uh, previous episodes, basically that's what we have right now. If you want to have a short barrel rifle, an SBR, um, it's, you know, basically any rifle that is less than 26 inches overall length with a shoulderable stock. Okay. Um, or if you want a suppressor, uh, you have to pay a $200 tax stamp, which then has to be approved by the government. And the, the, the items, either the rifle, the suppressor have to be serialized and placed into a data database and everything to be monitored and tracked. Um, according to the NFA, this would make all firearms and all magazines, uh, fall into that. So every magazine you own, and some of us have five, six, 10 AR-15 magazines, you have four or five magazines for your pistol, just so you have to keep reloading when you're at the range. Every one of those, so that's, call it 10 AR magazines, and five Glock magazines, for easy math. 
What's 15 times 200, right? $3,000 is going to cost you just to keep the stuff that you have under this new law. Plus you're going to have, and that's not, that's $3,000 before you even get to how many firearms you own. You own four or five firearms. I mean, like this stuff adds up. They're trying to financially restrict people's access to firearms, make it too expensive for the common man to afford a gun. Why? Guns are getting cheaper. Guns are getting better and getting cheaper. No more Saturday night specials by companies you never heard of before, right? It's more accessible now than it probably ever has been for Americans to have a reliable firearm for self-defense. Okay. In the four to $600 range, you got the most reliable handguns in the world, Smith and Wesson, Sig, Glock, CZ, uh, Beretta, you know, Ruger, um, FN, you know, these are, these are quality manufacturers for the most part. I mean, I only threw Ruger in there, but, um, you can buy a, a good firearm in that price range is almost any, but almost any American can afford. Um, and that scares the anti-gunners, right? So what's the solution? Well, let's just make it so that they can't afford to do it. And that's what this requirement of an insurance policy is for. Cause I guarantee you, it wouldn't be go out and get your own insurance like you do for your car. Right. Cause I have, uh, like me personally, I have USCCA concealed carry, uh, insurance. It'll be government sponsored insurance, which is going to cost you how much a year, who the hell knows thousands of dollars. It, it's going to make it so financially impossible for the, every man to own firearms. They won't be able to do it. And they'll say, Oh, well you can have whatever you want. As long as you meet this, this, this criteria and can pay for this, 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 and this. So the only the ultra rich and powerful have access to it, which is a hundred percent against the constitution. It's awful. Um, Getting back on point here, but uh, this bill would also, uh, you, if you even wanted to display antique firearms, this built in a clause, uh, or I mean, it's a clause, it's a, a part of the bill, um, you have antique firearms, right? So like a flintlock musket, which is, I mean, not accurate at all. Most of them are like pre-rifling. Um, the musket balls are, compl- are round, you know, they're just not accurate weapons, not to mention you can't really shoot them very quickly. Think like muzzle loaders for hunting. Um, antique firearms, you need a license for those, even if they're just for display purposes in a, in a gun case, which most of them are, if it's an actual musket or like an old Western, like Henry lever action or something, you need to have a license for that. Um, this bill is also going to prohibit, um, and penalize the possession of a firearm or ammunition unless the individual complies with licensing and registration requirements, uh, prohibits the transfer of firearm or the ammunition to an unlicensed person. So that means if you take your buddy to the range and go shooting with them and it's your gun and your ammo and they're the one shooting it, does that mean that they're committing an illegal act and you by by law then are an accomplice to, I would assume as a felony? You know, I who knows what, what that's going to look like. Um, and it, it prohibits and penalizes the possession of ammunition that's, uh, yeah, like I was saying, 50 caliber or greater and... Uh, yeah, a large capacity magazine. You know, I'm just looking up my notes here. I just, I can't believe that this is really what we're facing. Um, and even more upsetting, <laughs> um, I, I came across a headline uh, yesterday. I think it's the ninth appeals court in the U.S. Um, upheld right to carry um, in like nine states or something, basically saying that the Second Amendment does not guarantee citizens the right or need to carry uh, a firearm in the quote unquote public square, basically saying that people do not have the right to concealed carry. They do not have the right to open carry. Um, I, I think it it impacts states like uh, Alaska. I know was one of them. Hawaii uh, was the one that was specifically mentioned a couple times over. I think like South Carolina and Oregon are on that list as well. Arizona, maybe, um, there's a real big push. And if you look at how many of those uh, on the appeals courts, how many judges were appointed by a liberal um, judge or legislator, it's pretty bad. Um, and the unfortunate part to all this now too, is that our Supreme court has a very troubling track record uh, of not hearing cases that have anything to do with the second amendment. They steer clear of the second amendment, like the plague with the exception of, I think, the Heller decision, which was back in, like, I want to say, like, 2008. Um, 
the the Supreme Court does not get involved uh, in anything that have to do with the Second Amendment. Um, and I think they're going to have to soon, you know, uh, with everything going on, you know, we're selling, there's been, there's been more gun sales, right. In the past year since COVID hit, and it's been a year now, um, there's been more gun sales and ammunition sales than ever before in history. And it's not slowing down. Like it spiked during the holidays, right. Black Friday sales and whatnot, but, um, it's not going anywhere. And now that we have a Democrat administration, democratic administration, excuse me, um, I think people are even just more concerned, especially because with everything going on, this doesn't need to be the administration's focus. We're still in the middle of the COVID epidemic, pandemic. I'm sorry, the COVID pandemic. Yeah, we have like a third of the country right now is is vaccinated. um, But that means we have two thirds of the country that that isn't. Okay. Um, You should down the Keystone Pipeline. Gas prices are skyrocketing. People are losing jobs. We got this crisis going on at the border. We're looking at, it was like, I don't know. It was in the tens of millions of dollars, if not more. They want to put up illegal immigrants in hotels and have the taxpayers pay for this uh, while we have our National Guard troops basically sleeping on the floors of parking garages in Washington, D.C. to protect our elected leaders who apparently fear for their life after a possibly corrupt and... uh, you know, uh, suspect to say the least election where the, the sitting administration was removed and we got uh, sleepy Joe and vice president Kamala Harris. Um, and if you're following any of that, um, today it's March 25th, Thursday, March 25th. And I believe today is the first time we are going to see president Biden in a press conference with the media, which, uh, if what I was reading earlier is correct, that sets the record. That's the longest any president has waited to speak to the media in like a hundred years. If you're not looking at this and going, what the hell's going on here? You're probably wrong. Okay. You need to maybe start answering, you know, asking some questions and demanding some more answers from leadership. Why our president refuses to be in any uh, press conferences. Why his, his, uh, his aides, his supporters, his staffers refuse to let any questions be directed to him because he can't give uh, accurate answers. He referred to Vice President Harris as President Harris on camera. That's already a thing. Uh, he can't. He couldn't remember parts of his uh, appointed cabinet. Uh, you know, if you think that Joe Biden's making it through all four all four years of this uh, this term, I think you're insane. I'll I'll take the under on that all day long. I just I don't see uh, I don't see that happening. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like he's, uh, rather than working on the issues that our country uh, needs to address most critically and most immediately, like immigration, like the issues at the at the border, like COVID-19, like China, right, who they had to sit down with recently and basically got laughed at by their head of state um, and called, you know, weak fools, essentially. Uh, now we got turmoil in the Middle East and everything, which President Trump had actually made great strides in in. Uh, bringing peace to the Middle East for the first time in like 35 years. Um, there's so many other things that, that need to be addressed right now in this country. And there's actually polls and studies out there to support that statement. People polled voters uh, and U.S. citizens and asked, what are you most concerned with the president addressing with his first 100 days in office? Gun control is like number 20 on the list. Um, Stimulus was uh, was uh, towards the top, a COVID vaccine and ca- uh, vaccine distribution and lockdowns and, you know, economic uh, repairs and, and, and things of that nature. Everything to have to do with the pandemic and what we've been dealing with for the last year were the top five, 10 items of that list. Gun control is like 20 or 21 on that list. It's not a priority for the American people. And the statistics behind gun sales prove that. It's not just the same, you know, uh, 7% of Americans that own firearms or whatever number you want to throw out there. They're out there buying every gun they can find and buying them off the shelves. Now, granted, I'm sure some people probably did buy another gun, but there are first-time gun owners. There are more first-time gun owners now than ever before. Americans want guns. They want their Second Amendment rights. They are entitled by our Constitution as designed and framed by our founders to have that right to self-defense and to defend themselves against a tyrannical government, which by all indications is the way that we're kind of heading. Okay. More government control is not a good thing. And a disarmed populace is definitely not a good thing. Look at, uh, 
Myanmar, the country, they just had their own military open up and slaughter unarmed civilians. It happens, people, around the world. Just because we don't have it here doesn't mean it never happens. Okay, crack a fucking book. Look at history. Look how disarmed populaces do against tyrannical governments over the course of history. Spoiler alert, not well. (laughs) You know, why do you think that our founders left the greatest world superpower when we left Britain and founded our own country, went through the hardships and struggles of founding the United States of America, creating the world's next greatest power based off of a constitution that guaranteed these rights, guaranteed the freedom of speech, guaranteed the right to keep and bear arms. I mean, start looking at the clues. It's it's laid out in front of you. You know, and I hope that this maybe helps sway some people's minds on uh, on gun control and that it's really not as much of a hot button issue. If anything, we need to start rescinding. We need to start retracting some of the existing gun control that we have on the books, okay? Um, would I love to see the NFA go away? Yeah, I mean, the National Firearms Act, that'd be great. If I didn't have to pay $200 and wait three to 14 months for some pencil pusher in Washington to stamp a big okay, uh, a big approved, whatever, on a tax stamp that's going to allow me to have a rifle that's under 26 inches or allow me to have a suppressor that doesn't actually silence my weapon. It just makes it relatively safe to shoot without hearing protection or without hearing protection. And in most instances, not even that. It just makes it safer for everybody else that's around. Think about home defense. You got small children, right? You'd probably want a suppressor on that thing so you don't blow out their eardrums, killing the bad man that broke in to, you know, hurt them, take them, whatever. So, I mean, I digress. Um, There's a lot at stake right now. Um, I urge everybody to go out and uh, to reach out and contact your elected leaders, your legislators, um, your representatives, your house representatives, uh, and and let them know that you do not want gun control and that you are asking that they, as your elected representative, convey those wishes by voting against uh, these bills that we were just discussing. Okay. Ask that they vote against specifically HR 127, uh, HR 1446 and, uh, HRA, well, actually 1446 actually passed. So that's, um, looking like that's probably going to be something we have to actually deal with. Uh, but ask specifically that they vote against HR 127 that would enact, uh, huge sweeping, uh, restrictions on magazines and ammo capacity and a public data. It's so idiotic, a public database of who owns firearms and where a registered location and a registered individual. It's, I still can't, I cannot believe there are people that actually think that that's a good idea. Most of them already have private security details, so they have no need for firearms of their own for their safety because they have somebody else who is obligated by duty and occupation to lay down their life to defend them. They don't have to worry about laying down their own life to protect their wife or husband or children or friends. Okay. They don't, they don't have to worry about it. So that therefore it's a non-issue. It's, I, I find it, like I said, idiotic that we're dealing with that. Uh, but reach out to your elected officials. I actually, and you do get a response. I actually did get a response from Debbie Stabenow, uh, one of my elected elite, elected leaders here in Michigan, um, who did give, uh, you know, albeit I'll say a fairly waffly response, but at least she she did write back to me and let me know that she would be voting. And she's a Democrat. She said she'd be voting against any. Uh, I can't know the exact verbiage, but restrictive. Um, gun control that would remove people's rights because she came from a community here in Michigan that, that valued their firearms and hunting, but would be voting in favor of anything that she saw as a way to make uh, Americans and specifically citizens of the state of Michigan safer. And, you know, it's, so it's, it's tough to, it's a tough pill to swallow, honestly, because uh, I feel like politicians basically tell you whatever they, you know, whatever you want to hear just to deal with that current moment. Um, but reach out. The more people that reach out, the more message. Like these people want re-election, um, so they should be voting in favor of what you're asking for. So if you think you're not going to get a response, they don't hear you. You're wrong, and you will get a response. Uh, and we also have the midterm elections coming up next year. 
right? Which is our big opportunity as conservatives, uh, as pro to individuals and, uh, you know, the prepared mindset, uh, following, I guess, no, it's not, you know, whatever, but talk to your friends, talk to your family, right? Make a difference, go out there and don't just vote for the person whose name you see on every other yard sign and have seen in, uh, you know, the election for the past 25 years, because that's the problem is it's the same people in office over and over and over again. People like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, who've been in office for 30 plus years, and they're they're goddamn ancient and have no business representing the country anymore. Hell, Nancy Pelosi, just to maintain the Speaker of the House, had to violate COVID protocols and bring in, uh, bring in representatives that were on quarantine for COVID to make sure they were there for a, for they are present for the vote to ensure that she maintained the speakership. These people need to go. All right. I digress. Hopefully you guys learned something. Um, and if nothing else, hopefully this inspired you to reach out to your legislators, uh, and, and push the issue and make sure your voice is heard. Make sure that, you know, you let everyone know that you care about the second amendment and that it's important. All right. If you don't believe me, do your research, look up the statistics for yourself. I think you'll you'll find that what we're pointing out here is nothing new and it, it is actually accurate. Uh, but until next time, you guys, do your research, write to your representatives, get out there and get training, and as always, be prepared. <laughs>